This past week, I did something that I never do. And that sounds like a contradiction. And that's because it is. I'm allowed one every now and then. But I have a personal policy, and, and if you follow me on Facebook, you've, you've, you've seen this. I have a personal policy. I do not share negative things. I don't share anything that's going to be negative. I don't want to share anything that's going to make you angry or make your day worse. I want to make you laugh. I want to make you think. I want to try to provide some encouragement. And so I have a policy. I don't share angry things on Facebook. But, <laughs> this past week I came across a letter that a, a father had written this past week. He, he has an autistic son. And he and his family went to church last Sunday. It was Father's Day. He wanted to take his family to church. And his son, nine years old, but very similar to Connor. He's nonverbal. He makes a lot of noise. His son was very excited to see all the colors and hear the music. And he was making a lot of noise. One of the ushers came and asked him to leave. Told him and his family they'd have to leave. And, and that got to me. Because I've, you know, I've, I've been there. And even if I haven't been there, I've felt that before. And I've worried about that. And so I, I shared that last week, and thankfully, in the, I mean, immediately, within a day, that situation was being resolved. Within a day, there were conversations happening to resolve that situation, and that's a wonderful thing to see also. But what, what I wasn't expecting when I shared that were the comments that were going to come back to me about our family, about Connor, and, and the comments from people who have visited and, and been a part of our church and what they had to say. I want to share a couple of them with you. One of them is from our own Amy Crane. Amy and John and the kids are camping this week, so uh, she's not here to defend herself. So I'll <laughs> read this. <clears throat> Amy, said, Amy responded, she said, We are thankful for you, Brett. We do not have special needs kids, but we do have high energy kids. Can I get an oh yeah? <laughs> And I have never felt that my children were anything but loved and accepted. Yay, KCC. And then this other comment I want to read came from a young lady, a young family that used to live here in Kansas and has since moved away, but they worshipped with us several times. And she wrote this, the mother wrote this, Kansas Christian Church was the very first church I attended after having my son. And though he's not special needs, he's an energetic kid and was as an infant too. And I remember many times having to carry him outside and being so embarrassed to leave. And then after service one day, Brett told me that they love hearing baby screams in church, which made me feel so accepted as a new mom. So Brett, I think you and your church are doing an amazing job of creating an inviting environment for loud children of all ages and abilities. Thanks for doing that. That got to me. That's the kind of reputation I want us to have. And, and it seems to be a reputation that we have earned. And beyond welcoming Connor and welcoming others with special needs, we need to be a place that would welcome anyone. A place where if someone needs a place to heal, they're going to find a place to heal here. If, if they need to find a place to belong and, and to find significance, a place to contribute, a place to, to serve, they're going to find that place here. If they simply need to be a place, a place to belong, a place where I can say welcome home and they know what that means, that this is home, we want to be that place. Now that's, that's not only a reputation worth having, that is a reputation worth protecting. 
That is a, a reputation worth guarding. And I want you to hear that as we move into this next section in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Because there is a lot of stuff in the coming verses that is negative. There is a lot of stuff that is negative and ugly. And it would be real easy for me to get up here and preach a sermon and just let us all have it. But I don't like preaching like that. I don't want to preach like that. I don't think the reason these verses are here is to make us all feel like failures. I think they're here to show us what's worth protecting here. What is worth guarding and what it is that we are building. And so we're moving into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, and we're going to go on into chapter 5, verse 2. It's not that long of a passage. It's on page 978 in those blue Bibles that you've got in front of you. If you've got a smartphone or a, a tablet with you and you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along there on, on the Version app. All of our notes and all of my, <clears throat> all of my Scriptures are are uploaded there. You can even take that part home with you, you know. But this passage, you'll notice, this passage begins with another therefore. Paul loves the word therefore, and he uses it over and over again in Ephesians. And when you see the word therefore, you got to go back and see what it's there for. What's it there for? You know, that's what we, that's what we always learn there. What is it there for? And in this instance, the word therefore connects us with what we read last week in verse 22, where Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. Put off your old self. And last week I, I told you it's kind of like when you come home after a long day of work and you are hot and you are sweaty and you are disgusting and your clothes are just covered in filth and you, you just got to get those off and you've got to get in the shower. And as soon as you get out of the shower, you think, I feel human again. And that's what Paul is saying that we have to do here. But when, what does that look like in, in more practical terms? What does that look like in, in the way that we do life and do life together? He says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor. I wonder if you've got relationships like that. Do you have relationships where, where someone has permission to speak the truth into your life? Even a, even a hard truth. Do you have people in your life that see past the front that you've put up? They see past the wall that you're building. They, they see past your stuff. And they can be honest with you and tell you what you really need to hear. Well, that's, that, those kind of relationships are important. And that's the kind of relationship that Paul had with the Ephesians. And so what we're going to read are some hard truths that they needed to hear, but it's truths that we need to hear also because the love of Jesus needs to be seen in everything that we do here. And when it is, when the love of Jesus is seen in everything that we do here, then we, the church, we can be a place where people can heal from their hurts. I saw one of those poorly worded church signs the other day. You know what I'm talking about. Every now and then you see these really poorly worded church signs. You see them online and people, people post them. Sometimes the church signs have something funny written on them. Sometimes they have typos. Sometimes they're just, you're thinking, what were they thinking? And so I wanted to show you this one. It's one of those poorly worded church signs. Can you read it? This is from Christian Church. It says, we love hurting people. 
I think I know what they were going for. I think what they were trying to say is, we love people who are hurting. But it doesn't come across that way. We love hurting people. <sighs> yeah, thank you, Chad. We have a world of, of people who are hurting. We have a world of people who have been rejected in one place or another. We, we've got a world of people who have been told they're not good enough and they don't need to come to church to feel worse. They don't need to come here and feel worse. They don't need to come here and get more hurt. They need a place to heal from their hurts. And we need to be that kind of place. Now apparently, the church in Ephesus wasn't doing that all that well. It sounds like the church in Ephesus had a big problem with anger. And so Paul addresses their anger in verses 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I want to make a little side note here because my guess is you've heard verse 26 before. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You've probably heard that before. And you've probably heard that applied to marriage. People have talked about the way you relate to your spouse. And they say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, the worst thing you can do in a marriage is go to bed angry. Did you notice Paul's not addressing marriage? Now, I'm not saying that's bad advice, but did you notice Paul's not addressing married couples here? He's addressing the whole church. He's talking about everybody. And the point is, when you're angry, and by the way, it, you're going to get angry. There's times when you, you ought to be angry about some things. When you're angry whether it's about anything or, or anyone, resolve that anger quickly. That phrase, don't let the sun go down on your anger, that doesn't mean, well, the sun downs at 7.25 tonight. I've got a few more hours. I can, I can hold on to this for a little longer. That's not what it means. It, it means resolve it quickly. You need to get over that. You need to get past that. One way or another, you need to resolve that anger. Don't hold on to that anger. And we've, we've known angry people. We've seen people for whom anger defines who they are. And, and anger defines how we interact with them. We've known angry people and we've learned to step around them, haven't we? Uh, we we've known people for whom we know that you've know, you got to tiptoe around them, you've got to tiptoe around the issues, and, and you don't push their buttons. Don't push their buttons. And then we find out they got buttons we didn't even know about. All of a sudden, there are new buttons. Paul's saying that's not who you are supposed to be. The church can't afford to tolerate that kind of ongoing anger because if we go back to verse 25, we are members one of another. We belong together. And so we need to be a place where people can heal from their hurts, not a place where people can get more hurt. And boy, don't, don't miss the connection to verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. If you let that anger fester, you let that anger just go and you, you never resolve those hurt feelings, you are making room in your life for the worst evil imaginable. You are making room in your life for an evil that, that thrives on chaos, that loves chaos, that loves to cause chaos, an evil that will continue to pick and, and hurt, and let that anger fester and grow until it just explodes. Until it explodes you, it blows you apart, it blows your family apart, it blows the church apart. Paul says we can't do that. 
because that is not who we are. That's not who we are to be. This is to be a place where people can heal from their hurts. We can't tolerate uncontrolled anger within ourselves. And we cannot tolerate uncontrolled anger in other people. You know, if you go all the way back up to the first part of chapter 4, it's there in verse 2, where Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. You know as well as I do that there are people that won't do that. There are people that absolutely refuse to bear with one another in love. What do we do in those cases? I don't know how many times I've heard it said, the church is a hospital. I've heard that said. The church is a hospital. And I believe it. We're a hospital for people who are hurting. If you're, if you're hurting, you want healing, you need to find healing in the church. And hear me carefully, if the church is a hospital, anger is a, is a cancer. Anger is a cancer on the body of Christ. Now, you don't treat cancer by tiptoeing around it, do you? That doesn't heal cancer. You say, you know, if you leave the cancer alone, it'll calm down after a while. If you leave the cancer alone, it'll take care of itself. You know what? The cancer treats everybody like that. Don't, don't take it personally. That's just the way the cancer... No, you don't do that. You cut cancer out. You, you remove the cancer. And that is painful and that is difficult but it is necessary if the love of Jesus is to be seen in what we do, if people are to experience healing. That, that kind of anger has to be dealt with decisively. We need to be a place where people can heal, not get hurt. And we also need to be a place where people can feel valued for what they do. Now verse 28. Verse 28 feels oddly specific. Verse 28 feels like Paul is talking about someone that he knew at the church in Ephesus. Read verse 28 here. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And again, I mentioned this before, but Paul had lived in Ephesus for two and a half years. He knew these people pretty well. And apparently he was aware of a situation in the church. <laughs> we got a thief coming to church. What? There's a thief coming to the church? We can't have a thief in the church. We have a thief in the church today. What is it? Tomorrow politicians will be showing up. You know, we, we can't have that. And so Paul addresses the thief. And you read what Paul says here. It's not that he's just looking for healing for the thief. He wants that thief to have a new identity. He wanted... He wants this person to learn to contribute to be able to help others who are in need. You know the problem with a town this size. You know the problem with a town this size. First of all, everybody knows everybody else's business, right? In a town this size, everybody knows everybody else's business. You know what the other problem in a town this size is? Towns like this have long memories. Amen? No? Okay. Towns like this have long memories. Ephesus had a thief. We could have the drunk. We could have the adulterer. We could have the you name it. But what if the church could offer something different? What if the church could offer a, a new identity? 
What if the, the church could offer a new reputation for that person and, and new memories for that person to be building? What if the church could be a place not just to sit, but a place to serve, a place to earn trust, a place to do a good job, and maybe even learn a new skill. Not only a place to contribute, but a place where when someone else comes who's in need, suddenly they're going to the thief because he knows how to help. They're going to that person who's been transformed because they found a place to serve and feel valued for what they can do. Now, the reality is, that's what the church was supposed to be from the very beginning. You go all the way back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 tells us about the birth of the church and how the church started. And what do we read there in, in verses 40, 40, 44 through 47? All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Paul's not picking on the thief here. He's saying you need to be the church you've been called to be. And that means providing a place where people feel valued for what they do, feel valued for the ways that they contribute, whether that's leading the church, whether that's... Well, leading worship, whether that's leading the youth group or, or teaching junior church, whether that's, whether that's preparing communion. You know, we, we do communion every week. That's an important part. I, in my mind, this is the centerpiece of everything that we do. Everything focuses to what happens at this table. You know, someone has to prepare that every week. Did you know that? Someone has to put that together. It's not a hard job. You fill up the trays, you fill up, you know... Someone would be glad to show you how to do it. There's, there's a sign-up sheet on the table in the back. And let me just tell you, it's the same names every month. Everybody takes a turn of a month. If you can't do it, someone does fill in. But, but everybody takes a turn of a month. And, and it's the same names every month. The same people over and over again. They would love to share that. They would love to, to, to teach you how to do that. They'd love to help you feel like you've accomplished something new by, by doing that. What about greeting? We, we need people who will greet our visitors, who will make them, uh, who allow them to come in and, and feel like they belong and feel welcome. We need people who, who can do those things. There are so many opportunities to serve. And the fact is, there are no small jobs in a church. There are no small jobs because there are no small people. There are no jobs that are beneath me or, or beneath you or, or beneath any of us. And if a thief wasn't disqualified... If a thief wasn't disqualified for serving at the church in Ephesus, then you're not either. And I think a big part of healing is learning how to contribute. I think a big part of healing is learning how to make ourselves useful, or learning how to help other people. And I hope we know that's not just about throwing money in an offering plate or putting money in a bucket or in a box. Sometimes it means picking up a mop. Sometimes it means changing light bulbs in the church. Sometimes it means emptying the dishwasher in the church. And sometimes it means caring for someone else who's, who's hurting because you've learned how to care by letting other people care for you. And ultimately, what, what Paul is, is driving at here is not just a place for healing or a place to serve, but he's calling us to be a place where people feel like they belong. He's calling us to be a place where people feel like they belong. Now, now these last few verses, 
I want to warn you about these last few verses. They come in, in rapid fire. It is a, a bunch of rapid fire negative things. A bunch of rapid fire prohibitions. Paul saying, don't do this, don't do that. By all means, stop doing these things. A whole lot of problems that he was seeing at the church in Ephesus. And, and so before we, get, before we get our toes stepped on, let's just read them. Beginning there in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. We may have to revisit that one sometime later. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, anger again, it's the third time he's mentioned anger with three different words and four different commands. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That, those verses right there are a preacher's dream. You know? Ah, that's the kind of place a preacher just loves to land on because all of a sudden he can spend maybe four or five weeks just beating us all up. And every one of us, including myself, we would all feel miserable if I preached those verses. I hope I wouldn't need to do that. I don't think I need to do that. But i got to be honest. It does amaze me the number of times I have to say to grown adults, you know, that's, that's gossip. And the Bible tells us not to do that. We, we really can't talk about that person that way. Or the number of times I have to say to, to grown adults, people, people who have been Christians longer than I've been alive, that's slander. I mean, that, that is slanderous. We, we can't say slanderous things. That, that, that grieves the Holy Spirit. We should not be saying those things. That is that slander. But the point isn't these sins. The point is, what life should we be building here? What should we be building? We need to be a place where people belong. And that's why he continues in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Every one of these vile, disgusting things that's listed here, the corrupting talk, the bitterness, the slander, the malice, all of them are ways that we show people that they are not valuable. You don't slander people and then expect them to feel welcome like they want to come back, do you? That, that's not how that works. You don't slander people and expect them to feel welcome. You don't maliciously attack someone. We understand malicious attack, right? Whether it's verbal or whether it's physical, far more often it's verbal, of course. You don't maliciously, abusively attack someone with the goal of hurting them and then expect them to feel like they belong or like they want to contribute. See, that, that kind of behavior drives people away. And so what Paul is saying is there is no place for that here. There is no place for that kind of behavior in a church. That is absolutely not what the church is about because it's not what Jesus is about. This is a place where people can belong. And you cannot miss that it's in this context of these verses where Paul warns us in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit of God. God's presence in you. When you gave your life to Christ, God's promise to you was His Holy Spirit. That His Holy Spirit would move in 
that He would actually take up residence in you. And then He hears our anger, our abusive speech, our slandering. You realize God hears that, right? doesn't matter how quiet you say it, or doesn't matter that you say, now don't, don't tell anyone I said this, but the Holy Spirit in you hears those things. How does He feel about that? It says that it grieves Him. He is grieved by that. Grieved by it. He, he's sorry He's with you when you're doing that. Not just sorry that you did it. He, he's sorry that He took up residence there. We, we have to take that seriously, don't we? If God is deeply hurt by that kind of evil, we don't dare tolerate it in ourselves and we don't dare tolerate it in other people. We don't say things like, well, that's just the way they are. We don't say things like, well, oh, Brad, don't take, it, don't take it personally. They treat everybody like that. I have heard that before. We don't dare say, you know, it's best to just let them have their way and they'll leave everybody alone. Again, that's a cancer on the body of Christ. And there are times when that needs, when cancer needs to be cut out. God's great desire for us is that we would be one. That we would be one body, that we would have unity, that we would care for each other, we would support one another, we would forgive one another, that we would lay aside all of this garbage and instead we would be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Did you get that? As God in Christ forgave you, the basis for our forgiveness is not whether or not they deserve it. The basis for our forgiveness is not whether or not they were sorry enough or, you know what, well, sundown's coming in about five hours. I guess I'll give them about five more hours and I'll be... No, that's not how it works. The basis for our forgiveness is as God in Christ forgave you when you didn't even belong to Him. He forgave you. God made a place for you to belong and then He came in so He could belong to you as well. That's what we're supposed to be for each other. The love of Jesus needs to be seen in everything we do here. This is one of those cases where the guy who divided up all the chapters in the Bible kind of missed it. This is one of those cases where the, the chapters don't divide well because Paul's thought continues on into chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And again, if you notice verse 1, it begins with a therefore. And the therefore here in verse 1 takes us back to verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love, He says. There He's talking about walking Again, walk in love. We need to take a serious look at everything that's been said in this passage. Everything that's been said about our anger, about our corrupting talk, about our bitterness and wrath, our slander and our malice. And we need to ask ourselves, can I hold on to any of these things and at the same time walk in love? Can I hold on to these and at the same time walk in love? We need to ask ourselves that question. By the way, the, the answer is no. I'm just going to go ahead and give you the answer. No, you can't do that. Something has to go. And I'm going to admit that there's going to be times when that's hard. You notice that 
at the very end of verse 2, Paul brings in the concept of sacrifice. This is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. I'll tell you, I would rather sacrifice, I would rather we sacrifice our anger than sacrifice the healing that we could be for people. I'd rather we sacrifice our anger than sacrifice the healing place that we can be for the people around us. I would rather we sacrifice our privilege to sit and do nothing than sacrifice our call to serve one another and care for one another and maybe even through our service give people a new name. Not thief, but saints. I would rather sacrifice my own lousy attitude than sacrifice the love of Christ because I can't have both. And if I can't have both, you can't have both either. So let's be a place where the love of Jesus is seen in everything that we do. Let's stand together and pray. Father, your, your love is amazing to me. While we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us. And while we were weak and broken, you moved in, you took up residence, you gave us your Holy Spirit. Fathers, we've looked at your word today. We have been confronted with the reality that there have been times when we have subjected your Holy Spirit to some ugly things. We have subjected your Holy Spirit to our anger, our bitterness. We have subjected you to the way we hurt others, and it has grieved you. And so we lay ourselves at your feet, and we lay our sin at your feet. We lay ourselves before you and we repent. Father, we, we want to be known as a place where people can heal. We want to be known as a place where people can serve you as we, as we all serve together. And we want to be a place where, where they know that they belong. And if there's anything within us that keeps us from being the place you want us to be, would you just take that away? We want to walk with you. We want to walk in love. Father, that is a big request. That is, a, that is a huge ask from us to you. But that's okay. Because we pray to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is already at work within us. And so to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.